I think my biggest pet peeve in the world of enablement, especially because we are constantly and consistently trying to show leadership how valuable we are, it's slowing down thoughtfully and asking questions. And so it's I, I feel like a little kid sometimes because they're like, Devin, urgent change. Well, I'm like, why? Why? Tell me why. What data do we have? Tell me more. Show me the insights. That takes moments, right? And again, it's like a salesperson doing discovery. You're not just going to run to go do a demo. You're going to say, what's the problem we're solving? Why is this a problem? This is Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast. Here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing. Stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your full potential, then this show is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman coming to you from the Gong Studios. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Danny the Rev Wasserman coming to you for another weekly episode of Reveal. Yes, of course. In the house today, we have someone self-proclaimed to be a razzle-dazzle revenue leader. And I can think of no truer description of this individual's energy. Yes, we can think of her as the head of enablement at Dandy, but my goodness, she is bringing the thunder. She is bringing the heat, all pizzazz and panache, any enablement organization, or for that matter, go-to-market team could ask for. We've got Devin McDermott in the house. And as a fellow enablement leader, it was awesome to hear some of the things she's constantly thinking about to drive success within the Dandy ranks. First and foremost, making sure that she's serving from the back, making sure that she's prioritizing, giving those tenured, those seasoned, those absolutely killer sellers all the time, all the chances, all the opportunities to be front and center. And she's just supporting them from the back. Love that philosophy. Another thing, when it's so tempting to get whipsawed by the shifting tectonic pivots of selling in today's market. Well, what I like so much about Devin is that she is not defaulting to saying yes to whatever those evolving demands are from the go-to-market constituents she serves. She's in the practice of always asking, why are we shifting gears? Why are we pivoting strategies? And I think that that is a healthy reminder for all of us, whether we're in enablement or in fact, whether we're leading our own frontline teams, those could be sales or CS. You don't want to hear from me. You want to hear from Devin herself. So let's get straight to the razzle-dazzle revenue enablement leader, Devin McDermott. DJ, spin that. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Welcome back to the Gong Studios for yet another weekly rendition of Reveal. Coming to you live, Danny the Rev Wasserman, host of the podcast. I'm joined by a podcast compadre. Yes, this guest here today has her own show, but she's so much more than just a podcast host, having spent in upwards of a decade in the enablement space, she is here to teach a masterclass on the topic, previously having spent time as the VP of Global Enablement at CM Group, then matriculating over to the VP at Persado for enablement and L&D, most recently assuming the throne as the head of enablement at Dandy. Ladies and gentlemen, self-described as a razzle and dazzle approach to the profession. Yes, with those spirit fingers, it can only be one. It can only be the only Devin McDermott. Welcome to Reveal. Danny, thank you so much for having me. I'm so pumped to be here and I'm going to nerd out a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's pretty wild to be chatting with you because anytime I'm on a podcast or panel, I find myself nerding out 
very hard about gong because yeah. I'm obsessed with it. So uh, yeah, I'm so pumped. Thank you for having me. I think this is just going to be a gush fest. Like we can fanboy <laughs> and fangirl and yes. fawn over each other in this love fest. It's going to be awesome. It's a beautiful thing. All right. So I'm doing research on you in preparation for the episode, Devin. And what I like so much about your tact is that you think about, okay, what are the various transitions in this profession in the 10 years or so that you've been doing it? There was a period where there was sales enablement. And now we're in this paradigm of revenue enablement and help us in the studio, help our listeners understand and appreciate why is that distinction so important? It's so important. And it's it's just incredibly interesting. So sales enablement was kind of the pioneer, right? Yep. Any enablement practitioners that you've met got their start in sales enablement. But today, the shift is really moving where companies have seen the impact and power of a sales enablement function in supporting revenue growth, supporting effectiveness and efficiencies. And they kind of want enablement for all of their teams. So this shift from sales to revenue enablement is fundamentally about expanding and refining our enablement programs to encompass pretty much all of those customer-facing roles in an organization. So particularly teams like customer success and support, empowering all customer-facing teams and not just sales, and ensuring that enablement programs and, and partnership are designed to meet each of those teams' unique operating structures, expectations, and goals. And most importantly, I think that the why for this shift to revenue enablement is to nurture a more consistent customer journey, which is what it's all about. Well, we're now living in the golden age of revenue enablement, yeah. but it wasn't always the case that we had yes. a seat at the table, right? You described this era of sales enablement and it being really siloed to that group within go-to-market. Even our entire notion of go-to-market was in its infancy back then. Mm -hmm. So walk us through kind of the good, the bad, the ugly of those early years of it just being kind of like restricted or marginalized to sales enablement. I kind of want to start from like that gloomy moment when we didn't have a legitimate voice and then how that looks and feels and sounds different in 2023. Yeah, so it's it's all about consistency in the way you show up for your customers and okay. the way you communicate about your brand. And so again, we spent this time, energy and money making sure our sales team was showing up like amazing partners, you know, they understood the industry, they could speak effectively, they could support our customers in such an amazing way. And then those customers would move over to customer success and you have a completely different experience, sometimes yeah. a different message about the business, the value prop, what you actually do. And so you kind of break that customer journey as soon as they move on to the next team in your organization, because yeah. there isn't that thread. You're not threading that consistent um, approach, messaging, methodology, way of engaging your customers about your business. And as a customer, that stinks, right? As an enabler, I purchase a ton of technology. I go through tons of sales cycles. And there's nothing worse than having an amazing experience with your seller and then showing up for implementation and being like, who are you people? What do you do? What did I buy? And we're doing that to our customers for the teams and, and companies that we support because we're putting all of this effort and energy into making this stellar world-class sales organization and kind of dropping the ball for the rest of our team. So I think a lot of organizations started to see that and maybe not necessarily the negative side of things, but the mm -hmm. positive side of sales enablement impact. So you have these onboarding programs, these everboarding programs, upskilling certifications, all of these things that are actually working. You're creating a unified force. Your team is on message. You're executing flawlessly. So many organizations said, wait a second, 
I want that for my customer success team. Yeah. I want that for my market. I want that for all of my teams. And a lot of businesses organically just started kind of stamping out enablement across their other teams. And frankly, that is what happened to me. That's how I fell into revenue enablement. When I was at a company called Sale Through, I started in sales enablement. Um, thankfully, they hired me. I had not been a seller before and I had literally no idea what I was doing. I barely knew what enablement was and they just yeah. took a chance on an unknown kid and was able to partner with an amazing, like, honestly, the best sales leadership team I've ever worked with in my career wow. who took me under their wing, nurtured me, but helped me figure out like, hey, how do we shape a sales process? How do we build mm -hmm. a methodology? And we were able to really build out this very hearty, very impactful sales enablement program. Again, all the things we just mentioned, you had our kickoff certifications. And my head of customer success was like, this is cool. Can we do that for CS? But like maybe just some webinars. And that's how we fell into it. So I didn't have a strategy or an approach. And I did do what you're not supposed to do at that time, which is rinse and repeat. And initially I was just like, Hey, CS, come join our sales enablement webinar. So at least y'all are hearing the same things and thinking the same way, which did incrementally improve those customer conversations. Yeah. But we really had to take a look and see how do we modify this programming for this unique group? And then eventually we expanded our scope to customer enablement which was really cool. So many organizations, customer enablement sits in your L&D team on customer success, but bringing that group into enablement was so incredible because now we have full command of the message and full command of that customer experience. And wow, so much magic happens there. I, I've got, I think I've gotten a little bit smarter in my strategy when yeah. it comes to revenue enablement, but it was a really cool, exciting kind of like, just kind of throw your feet in. What is it? Jump into the, the deep end of the pool and figure it out. Love it. So you capture lightning in a bottle with this sales team and people are like, holy smokes, what the hell is Devin cooking up? But it's <laughs> contagious. And then other people are saying, well, whatever she's doing, I want it for CS. And again, yeah. you talk about perhaps, unfortunately, early on making that mistake of, oh, it's a one size fits all. Totally. I'm, I'm going down sort of a, an ambiguous path, but stick with me to the question, which I'm going to ask, which is, okay. It's hard to quantify mm -hmm. what enablement does. And I go back to the office space quote, like, what would you say you do here? <laughs> Speaking yeah. as an enabler, because I feel that all the time. So you've created magic in sales. People are having a hard time abstracting or extrapolating your value, but they just know they like it. Yeah. So then when you say, well, I can't do this for sales and for CS, I need someone who specializes in CS enablement. And that's another headcount. And you're yeah. already a cost center. <laughs> so how do you go to the CFO when times are tight, even when times are good, and the CFO has a fiduciary responsibility to wisely spend the organization's money? How do you say, we need this headcount, and here's why? What's your justification? That is a challenging one. Thankfully, a lot of that has happened organically, but yeah. I think we can start to show the impact of the work that we're doing, okay. which I will caveat. This is the hot topic in enablement. Demonstrate your impact can be really hard to do if you are a sales enablement team of one and you're yes. in a startup, right? So we know at a startup, and I'll use that as our example to kind of frame up the conversation, uh, metrics might not be defined. They might be tracking them in different ways. That might change d day over day. So for an enabler who is trying to expand their team and, and bring in a, a full revenue enablement function, you have to find the areas where you can actually track the impact of the work you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so for the sales team, what we were able to do is look at how are we shifting the behavior of our reps? And a really simple example is we have a new pitch. 
and we need to get everybody on message. And how do we do that? And so we can demonstrate through our enablement programming, through training, reinforcement, role playing, certif- I love a certification through certifications. We are getting our new reps comfortable with this new messaging. But how do we know it's working? Well, we'll use our tech stack. So using things like call recording, gong, um, your CMS, we can start to track, are people able to do this thing that we expect them to do? And if they're not, what can enablement do to actually help support that behavior change? So we'll set up scorecards for our managers. And so get the managers involved for reinforcement. And so now we have this super holistic program. We're tracking the incremental moments of, yes, enablement is delivering all this great stuff. Good for us. Great. Yes, people are taking our programs. Great, even better. Hey, they're actually using this on calls with customers. Hey, those calls are actually resulting in uh, better conversion rates, um, more robust discovery, better demos, all of those things. We can actually show that. Um, now, the direct impact to revenue is a whole other story, but we can start to draw those correlations and, and tell the story of the impact of the work we're doing. Um, and so having that business case or that little case study to share back with your CFO shows, hey, if we just threw the talk track at our reps, yeah, some of them would adopt it and it would be fine. But we'd also be working with nebulous data and insights to say, we think they're adopting it. We think they're following what they're supposed to be doing but we don't really know. And so for enablement, it's methodical tracking of everything you're doing and being able to report back on whatever you can. Now, I just made some big statements about your tech stack and call recording and CMS. I also know a lot of enablers, especially if your CFO is like, we're not spending money, they don't have any of that. And so it's also figuring out ways if you don't have access to the call AI and things of that nature, how do you build out aspects of your program where you can start to track some of that to in turn build a pretty hardy business case back for your CFO. But it has to be driven in data and you have to be able to demonstrate that the work your team is doing is in fact moving the needle. I will also say I've worked for a number of startups where they are not looking at impact just yet, especially yeah. if, if enablement is new. So you're there for six to 12 months, you're laying the foundation. So your case for your CFO can even just be, look at how much we've been able to map, frame, create consistency, create a repeatability in the work we're doing with one person. Imagine if we had another person to do this in tandem, creating a little center of excellence type approach for your customer success organization. Now you're creating consistency, repeatability, and effectiveness across your teams. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to do it. I think it all really depends on the type of organization yeah. you're sitting in, the data you have access to. But what I like to tell my team is like, what do we have complete and total control over? There's a lot. Use that to fuel your business case, whether it's, you know, in lieu of having a tech stack or with a great tech stack in place. Let's talk about the use of data to legitimize everything you're doing. And presuming you have all the elements in the tech stack that you just enumerated. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about a really commonplace scenario where you're either in an organization or you join an organization enablement. And this goes both ways across the aisle of enablement to sales where you've got that really tenured enterprise seller. They've mm. been successful long before you arrive at the org, maybe sure. long before you were born. <laughs> yes. And they say, get out of my way, get this monkey off my back. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm doing. How do you contend with reluctance, resistance, stubborn yeah. behavior that flies in the face or defies what it is that you're espousing? Yeah. I've worked with so many of those reps. Some of them are now my very good friends. Yeah. Uh, so especially for me, no sales background. So already, and my other target is 
you've never carried a bag. How dare you tell me how to run discovery? Who uh-huh. are you? Um, yep. So I'll, I'll take a step back of like, again, what do I have complete and total control over? Mm-hmm. I'm going to read every friggin' book I can. I'm going to follow every sales leader, CRO, influencer on LinkedIn and learn everything about them. I am a very shy, strange introvert. It may not yeah. seem that way, but I have actually called. I'm like, can I have a call with you? Can I unpack your brain? Can uh-huh. I learn about you? Yep. Now, those are not the, the rep that we're talking about, but I want to make sure that I'm backing myself up with a little bit of credibility, knowledge, and to show my reps, my partners that I'm doing the work. But that yeah. rep, they've been selling for longer than I've existed. You are my new best friend. You are my SME. You are my partner. I want to run a disco session. Come build it with me. Oh, you're too busy. Let me basically build the whole thing for you and you can tell me where it's wrong. Terrific. Help me run those gong call reviews. Help me make sure our reps are on track where they need to go. Be the face of the programs that you are the star of and really, you know, celebrate those folks, evangelize them, bring them into the fold. Um, you know, in enablement, we talk a lot about change management. We know that a lot of that is heavily dependent on your guiding coalition, getting the buy-in, building the groundswell, building yeah. your evangelists. That super seasoned rep. That is your number one evangelist. You bring them in, you ask for their feedback on things, you make them the star of the work that you're doing. I can't tell you how many workshops, training programs that I've built from my little enablement lair and been like, here you go, be, go be the star and I'm, I'm the stage mom in the background. And that's okay because I know that that's what's going to make it work. Um, so it's really, it's a little bit psychological where A, like I do need to show up as a trusted partner to you. And so I'm going to do the work, but I'm also going to say, you know, Danny, you've been doing this for 25 years. Teach me the way. Let's do some knowledge sharing. Let's grow together. And I think that's the secret rather than, again, trying to brute force my way into like, well, I know disco better than you. No, I don't. And that's okay. I think that it's the humility in which you're approaching this, which avoids what is all too common, the dynamic of finger pointing. Why don't yes. these <laughs> lazy schmoes who are overpaid, glorified divas, why don't yes. they do what I'm asking them to do? And them looking at us and saying, you tone deaf, ivory tower, yes. Evian drinking <laughs> doofuses. And when, again, there's that misunderstanding, of course, it's an us versus them. So I love your tactic totally. when it comes to, hey, like, it is not our show to steal or it's purely not. just, again, if we use your analogy of being a stage mom, propping them up. I think that that's awesome. Yeah. And I think, too, being crystal clear, everything enablement is doing is in service to sales. We don't have our own agenda. And I think a lot of times there's a weird disconnect with enablers because, you know, yeah. we're we're fighting and I'll use this you know, universally. We're fighting for our seat at the table to be C-level, yeah. to be strategic, to to have a voice. Super important. And we desperately need that. But yeah. I think so often we rely on that to say, well, the CRO said we have to do this training on X and then we go and build it. And we don't have sales leadership buy-in. Our reps are like, what the heck are you talking about? We're doing a great job when it comes to mutual action planning and all of this stuff. And so I think it's also finding, not losing sight of your job as the dot connector, as the cross-functional person who is saying, hey, CEO or CRO, you know, we, we might need some work on that mutual action plan. Tell me why. And, and do your enablement scoping with that person and say, yep. that's great. I'm going to go make sure our sales leadership team is fully bought in. I'll get back to you with any questions. Hey, reps, let's run a field advisory board. I love my field advisory board, voice of the field program. Let's talk about this. Where, where are we struggling? Where are challenges? Where do we need to improve? And really making sure that anything you are spending time on and asking your team to step away from revenue generating activities on is actually time well spent. You know, this, the CRO might have heard a, a soundbite in a meeting and been like, everything sucks. No one's doing what we need them to do. Yeah. No, no. Enablement, take a breath. Say, great. Let me ask you some questions. I'm going to get back to you. 
use the data that's available to you, talk to your teams, talk to leadership and build a plan that is actually going to work and serve hopefully your CRO, but also the teams that are doing the work. The art of enablement is deeply rooted in fostering relationships between sales and the rest of the cross-functional teams that have a vested interest in sales adopting their agendas. And healthy internal relationships, well, those lead to clear and consistent customer outcomes. What's fascinating is that according to Gartner, by 2025, 89% of customer interactions will be managed by AI, those chatbots and messaging apps, which obviously are going to help us, well, they can't also utterly replace the human-to-human component of running a go-to-market team. As you heard from Devin, making sure that you have those healthy relationships before we see an outsized representation of AI in our go-to-market motions is critical. So let's get back to Devin and hear a little bit more about asking those why questions to deepen our partnerships with cross-functional team members. Devin, back to you. What you describe, oh my God, the sky is falling today and <laughs> yes. it's falling this way. And then tomorrow it's falling in a different way. And you saying, we're going to slow down. Right. We're going to connect the dots implies that there's a tremendous amount of pacing and composure that mm-hmm. goes into this role. And I would agree with that statement. Full stop. Mm-hmm. When you leave the station with one plan, perhaps kickoff is we're going in this direction. And then that week, unexpectedly, your top competitor completely doesn't about face, invalidates what you left the station with. And now here you are being like, holy smokes, we're starting a new year. And mm-hmm. did we just completely botch it? Walk us through how do you synthesize or how do you comfortably, reasonably course correct with all the volatility that you're expected to juggle as these folks that allegedly connect the dots. Yeah. I I, I like to joke that um, I always have a contingency plan in okay. place for anything I'm building. So um, if we're thinking about a person that's a team of one or a smaller team, I blueprint the heck out of every single thing I build, every single program. So I have a map that I can build into, but I can also kind of, I'm picturing like, you know, a 1980s video game. I can go backwards, the little dot can travel backwards or forwards um, so that anything that we're building, again, is methodically aligned to where we need to go. But, you know, um, explosion, everything's falling apart. We have to pivot. That's where, again, we have to employ some thoughtful change management strategies Mm -hmm. where we can actually move quite quickly, but we have to get the right people in the room. We have to reset the vision. We have to determine our path forward. We have to, again, use all the data that's available to us to make really good decisions. But when we react without consulting cross-functional teams, without understanding this expression, I can't stop using this week, without seeing the forest for the trees, right? It's like we zoom into the problem and we go, oh my God, nothing else matters. But I always like to say, why is this a problem now? What did we miss? What were some of the indicators? And really start to unpack, like, why are we here? What's the before and after? And then how do we be very methodical about how we approach this? So for enablement as well, um, I I work at fast-paced startups. I don't know why my heart is already like a hummingbird, but um, we, we have to think about programming as well as an MVP. Anything we deliver has to be minimum viable product, really yep. good, really high quality, but we also can't operate in a state of perfection so that we can pivot very quickly into these new initiatives. But I think it's also down to finding the right strategies and tactics to address that particular situation. So again, 
urgent change industries, you know, rapidly new competitors popping up everywhere. We're not going to be like, okay, let's sit down and do a certification. Let's spend some time here. It's also being able to pivot your enablement strategy. So you're focusing on get the information out. Now we focus on sustained knowledge transfers to sustain behavior change through different methods. And so I did mention like my maps, my blueprints. When I join an organization, I spend the bulk of my, you know, first 30 days building out templates for everything. So Hmm. my micro reinforcement scenarios, I have 15 templates for those. So I can go to my friend, ChatGPT, who's my buddy and say, build me, you know, 25 scenarios. I fill them in, seed them out to my teams. It takes 30 seconds of their time. They have the information, they're thinking again, getting smart with pre and post flight checklists. Again, simple, easy ways to tactically address that problem, get in front of it. And then when we can breathe, then we can say, okay, what do we really need to do? But I think my biggest pet peeve in the world of enablement, especially because we are constantly and consistently trying to show leadership how valuable we are, Mm -hmm. it's slowing down thoughtfully and asking questions. And so it's I I feel like a little kid sometimes because they're like, Devin, urgent change. I'm like, why? Why? Tell me why. What data do we have? Tell me more. Show me the insights. That takes moments, right? And again, it's like a salesperson doing discovery. You're not just going to run to go do a demo. You're going to say, what's the problem we're solving? Why is this a problem? Is it a long-term problem? So you go back into scoping mode, but it can be really hard when, you know, to your earlier point, it's the CRO or, oh my gosh, new competitors just stole 50% of our clients. I don't think that's ever happened anywhere. But again, so it's like, is this yeah. as dire as we think it is? And so being the the team or the, the person who can say, let's deescalate. We understand the urgency, but we're going to do this right. And there is a, a right way. And it's slowing down, being thoughtful and building out your immediate plan and your long-term plan. I love the reminder to slow down as opposed to because we're kind of... Yeah, on eggshells to defend our value, but we're also just servant <laughs> leaders and we're inclined to be do good or sure that when someone throws their hands up and says, I need help, we want to run towards that. Yes. So it's a natural reflex and tendency, but that should not be the default. You touched on a few things that I want to unpack in this next question, which are that, okay, there's correlation and there's causation. We do mm-hmm. feel beholden to defending and demonstrating our value. And the nice thing about being in sales Mm-hmm. We've got a number. It's very right. objective. It's very binary. Are you above it or are you below it? And above it, you are overachieving on our expectations. Below it, you are mm-hmm. not meeting our standards. Tell me, although we can't causally point to, well, the company hit because of our enablement, what right. are the ways in which historically and even today with technology, what are ways that you're wrapping up this year and saying, our team kicked ass and here's yeah. what we delivered on so that no one has a shadow of a doubt that you guys are living up to your expectations. Yeah. And I will say back to uh, startup world, you don't always have that data or that like revenue target. My organization, we're not looking at that, mm-hmm. the, the revenue coming from sales. We're looking at revenue as a business. And so we're looking at activity metrics and we're looking at number of deals closed. And so I go back to tracking behaviors. And so for any initiative that we launch, yes, like I, I know there's debate in the communities around like, do we report back on trainings delivered and assets delivered? Absolutely. That is a real tangible data point. We are delivering to the teams. Again, it shouldn't just be like, we did a training, we did this, but I all, I like to look at what are we building and delivering and why? Uh, and then resources that we're able to deliver. So reinforcement moments, your job aids, things of that nature. And then are people engaging with that content? So the behaviors that are showing us, they're on the right track to start doing the things we need them to do. And, uh, you know, 
call AI, Gong, your CMS, those two pieces of technology are the most important pieces of tech in my tech stack. Because yeah. I can start to say they've consumed the content, they've done it well, they understand it, they've completed the role play successfully, they've done the certification. Now I can tell you business, they're actually doing this in role and they're doing it well. They're Again, we'll use the simple analogy of... um a pitch or even just like mutual action planning. They're engaging in the right behaviors. Those are the behaviors that in partnership with RevOps, we've determined are going to move the needle to allow us to reduce sales cycle length um, uh, and achieve our ultimate targets. And so riding along with some of those metrics as well, like are our teams doing the things we need them to do to achieve that goal? Now, if better pitching or better mutual action planning is not the right solution. That's something we need to track and address as well. But I think it's just riding along with those specific moments where we know reps are doing the things that we need them to do. They're doing it well, and they're doing it because of the programming that we've delivered. And in turn, those actions that we've defined top of the quarter, top of the year are the ones that are moving the needle for our business. So it is a little bit of a wavy line, and it's certainly not perfect. So I'll share with you um, some examples of what we're doing in my organization. Great. We are a startup. We're young, we're, you know, we have a shifting strategy, but it's great, but we don't always have those super clear metrics. So what do we have complete and total control over? All the things we just discussed. So we started doing monthly roll-up reports for our leadership team to say, hey, we're delivering this training, teams are taking it, here are your quiz scores. We delivered a certification, people are doing it, here are the scores, and we're showing them those insights month over month. We use our newsletters aggressively to share mm. information consistently so that marketing isn't sending out a Slack message. So like that's our way to funnel information. We track views of that newsletter. And then if there's really important information there, are people clicking in? Are they doing all the things we need them to do to say there's intent? They're ready to take on the change. They're consuming the content and so on. We're also, actually, we just launched these yesterday, uh, launching initiative-based reporting that encompasses everything we just discussed. So we have this brand new product feature that is necessitating major change for our customer support agents. And so we're riding along with what did we do it? Why did we do it? What were the ultimate goals? Most importantly, what are the behaviors we need to change? And are our teams able to do it? So it's a combination of activities, um, our, our tech data feeding into that to be able to tell the story of this program worked. Here's why. Here were the leading indicators to get us there. And we also do um, a lot of formal postmortem, but we say, here are the things we know we could have done differently. Here are the areas where we could have improved our processes, where um, yeah. if we had a longer timeline, things would have gone better. So I'd say... It's not always a direct line, but use the data that you actually have access to um, to fuel whatever story you can. Going back to the things that we have complete and total control over, mm -hmm. competencies. Um, okay. So many startups don't want to spend the time mapping competency, skills, and behaviors, even if they're rolling out hiring guides and job descriptions because it feels very heavy and it feels very cumbersome. But for enablers, we're tracking those behavior changes. We're tracking skill development. Mapping competencies for me is one of the first things I like to do with my leadership teams for the different groups I support, because it allows us to also set a baseline for our teams of where does everyone sit? Where are the skill gaps? Where should we be focusing our efforts instead of saying, you know, we think people need to be better at conducting qualification, but we don't actually know. And so using that to be a little bit more scientific and methodical about our programming, but also having that to report back on as well when we do talk about behaviors tied to specific initiatives. So that was a big one that initially I got a lot of pushback on from leadership of like, why are you wasting our time with that? That's incredibly time consuming. But there is a minimum viable product and low-hanging fruit way to roll that out and actually start to apply your program strategy using those tools. When you're talking about measurement, competency development, you're applying 
a degree of science and framework to a profession that historically I think has been marred by some, we'll say, squishy uh, and fairly, um, how do I say this, pontificating mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> bad actors and agents. And now there's a lot more rigor to what's going on. And we're starting to enter into a realm that feels almost borderline sales opsy or rev opsy. So yes. the next question is, okay, we have a series of cross-functional overlays that support our sales and revenue teams. We've got sales ops or rev ops. We've got HR business partners. We've mm-hmm. also got enablement. What would you describe as a healthy dance step between those cross-functional team members? Maybe there's more that you could add into the equation, but how does everyone play nicely without stepping on each other's toes? Because assuming positive intent, we're all here to support sales and their leaders, but sometimes we butt up against one another. Yeah, I'd say that is coming up now more than ever, but the other team I'm going to throw in there is product marketing. That is another one one that I think, and I think some of the biggest the bigger challenges come up where folks that are in those roles or even in your organization have either never worked with enablement or enablement was embedded in the product marketing or RevOps function. So there is so much blurriness and who does what, how do we divide our responsibilities? Enablement's here. They're going to usurp all of our responsibilities and take over our jobs. So a big, a big area of focus for me, especially with those groups where there is that like kind of ambiguity or it's, it can be a little nebulous is to meet with them. They're my stakeholders, right? So when you meet your stakeholders, what are you doing? You're conducting discovery. And so the first question I ask anybody is, have you worked with enablement before? If you, Tell me more. What was that relationship like? Mm-hmm. What did you do? What did they do? How did you partner? And that's when you can really uncover pretty quickly, oh, enablement was just part of RevOps or RevOps was actually delivering the training or whatever yeah. that looked like, right? And so being able to unpack of, oh, at my organization, this is how we run enablement or at our shared organization, this is how we look at enablement. So I'll, I'll take you back into like what, what I will build and deliver in advance of that is like, what is the enablement vision, mission and values? What do we do? What do we deliver? What do we build? What do we report on? When I get started again, those first 30, 60 days, that is what I map out. Now, again, my head of RevOps may have been there before me, may have joined after. We have to have a little bit of a negotiation conversation yeah. of, well, you know, I'm used to being in the room when we're scoping our sales process, but if that's fully owned by your team, great. Here's how I'd like to be informed. And so you're kind of negotiating your partnership. I do love building out SOPs or rules of engagement with those teams in particular because there is so much blurriness. And again, in my organization, there are very clear lines of who does what and when. And if there is overlap, we have clear operating procedures for that. But if your organization doesn't have that, you know, that, again, there's a little bit of, of a debate or negotiation that has to happen. But I think that's where the role of enablement can be really challenging because it is so very different at so many companies and it still is. Um, I just interviewed for a sales enablement manager role at my company and I met A, so many incredibly talented enablement folks, which was really exciting, but B, so many different backgrounds where there, you know, everyone came in with a sales enablement manager title on their resume. Mm-hmm. When I tell you the dramatic differences in what folks did, I had one person come in that only managed the tech stack. And I was like, that's incredible. Or another person who sat on RevOps and built out the sales strategy, the sales process. So I think I, I always laugh when I think about those roles because I'm like, there's so much ambiguity and so much uh, overlap in so many organizations. So part of it is just your stakeholder management game. Get in a room, talk through it, set expectations, agree upon those roles and responsibilities. It's not cookie cutter, so it's not going to be the same everywhere you go. Well, I love that in spite of what is 
unquestionably a successful track record as an enabler and the head of enablement at Dandy. There are a million ways to skin this cat, but some things <laughs> hold true irrespective of whether you're a Dandy or Acme or wherever you find yourself starting or continuing or progressing as an enabler. And those things are, I think, the humility that you possess, Devin, in spite of all of your authority in this medium to yield gladly the stage to a seller. Or as you think about the dynamics, which are not one of the same in any organization between PMM and ops and so forth, to come in from a place of curiosity and asking, how has this worked in the past, as opposed to presuming going in guns blazing and say, I know exactly what I'm doing. So really, your wisdom transcends your own experience. And it's certainly applicable to both enablers that listen every week to reveal, but also to those cross-functional team members that listen as well. There's a lot to be taken from what you have to say. Well, looking at the clock, if you've listened to Reveal before, you know, as we wrap up each episode, we ask all of our guests the same question. And I'm super curious to hear your answer. And because in enablement, you fit within a function adjacent to sales, I'm going to give you a twofer. So I'll give you the first question. The first is this. If you could describe sales in just one word, what would it be? Okay. I have two thoughts on this one, but I'll go with the one that I think is more fun. Um, And it's also something I can't do. Uh, So I'd say juggler. Um, so in the, and I've always wanted to be able to juggle and I can't, so this makes me sad, but that's all I can think of. Um, you know, jugglers have to keep several objects in the air at the same time. And each one is really, really important. And they have to make sure that not one of those hits the ground. So for sales, um, you know, you've got your prospecting, relationship building, you're negotiating and closing, and you have to be thinking about that full journey at every moment. So one impacts the other. You can't drop, you can't drop the ball. You can't drop the object and you have to be fully aware of the position of each item at every moment. And I think for sales, we don't think about it that way. We think about this like super linear sales process and it's really tight and clean, but it's not. And so our sellers are doing so much at one time and it's an art. It really truly is an art and a science. And so I just think of them like navigating and managing all this, plus all their enablement, you know, uh, resources and trainings and all those other things. So I think juggler is the one that, that resonates most. First time we've heard the juggling analogy. I love it. It's great. So super original. The twofer, if you could describe enablement Mm. in one word, Devin, what would it be? I have to do two words and I may get just kicked off of this podcast, but I'll say the great unifier or the unifier. And we are, and so I was in somebody who I had interviewed with was calling us the dot connector. And I loved that as well. And we are the, we need our stakeholders. They're the linchpin to everything we do. And we have to be able to collaborate, partner, break down silos in order to get anything done and to get it done well. So we are the, the great unifier. We have to bring people together, bring strategies together. And, and it's not always easy, but it's really, really fun. So between the unification of the jugglers <laughs> and this three ring circus, we have an entire act. Well, Devin, again, super fun as a peer of yours who has marveled at your success and what you've done to advance the field of enablement. My sincerest and humblest thanks for everything that it is that you're doing. Dandy is lucky to have you. (laughs) And I think I speak comfortably for all enablers out there. Thanks for just setting a totally kick-ass example 
for what we can emulate, what we should aspire to have in our own careers. And then by extension, for the people that work alongside enablement, what can good simpatico co chemistry look like? So Devin, thanks so much for joining Reveal. Thank you, Danny. Amazing to chat with you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performing sales teams, well, then head on over to gong.io. And if you like what you heard, well, along the way, give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may listen.